Hi everyone, Bridget here. I am speaking with Mr. Watson and Ms. Polakis today at a local public high school, and we are discussing behavior management techniques. This is going to help prepare us for student teaching and beyond. I hope you enjoy our podcast, and thanks so much for tuning in. Bye! So, um, my first question is, would you two like to introduce yourselves? I mean, I would like to, but... Is it Gumman who he listens to this? <laughs> hey, my name is Markel Watson. I am a high school English teacher at Urbana High School in Urbana, Illinois. And I'm Alyssa Pavlakis, and I'm also a high school English teacher at a high school in Urbana, Illinois. Awesome. Alrighty, so we are obviously discussing behavior management today. Um, my first question is, what are some of the best references, books, articles, pedagogical approaches, etc.? that you have used for behavior management strategies, tactics, and approaches? Do you want to go first or should I? Um, I think you should go first with this one if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, okay, so I can give you like a list like a mile long, so I'm just going to like name some. Um, and But the, the reality of the situation is like, after I go through this list, what you need to know is that like relationships are key, right? So at the end of the day, you just need to treat them like a human. Um, and they'll treat you like a human, right? But if you treat them like a dumb kid, like they're gonna treat you like a shitty adult. Like that's just how it works, right? Um, but one of them, this is actually for elementary classrooms, it's called Conscious Discipline. Um, it's by Becky A. Bailey. Um, and there's some really great things in here. It really talks about that idea of relationships and like how to create um, resilient classrooms and how to be conscious about like why you're disciplining somebody and for what reason. Um, it's you have to kind of like stretch it a little bit to apply it to high schools, but I really like it. Um, I think you guys read this, The English Teacher's Companion. Yep. Yeah. Um, I really do think that Jim Burke has some really good stuff in here, but I think that sometimes you skip the chapters while you're reading. So go back through. Uh, but the one that I like a lot is Teach Like a Champion, which is by Doug Lemon. Um, and then another one is Teach Like a Pirate. Um, I don't actually know who that's by. Um, I've heard of that one, though. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's clever, and it talks about like, giving a show and like keeping them interested, which is also a really big piece of it. Um, online though, I always read Cult of Pedagogy. It's a blog um, and she has a whole section on behavior and does a really good job of like going through different things that uh, will help with your kids. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I mean, every party needs a pooper. That's why Alyssa invited me. Um, when it comes down to references and books, articles and things like that, in my experience, I haven't really read anything that was overly helpful because all of it's theoretical, you know? Um, I think Alyssa said it really well, that it comes down to relationships and the experience that I've had. It's really about how you interact with kids. And for me, the most important thing is something that never, that I didn't need to read a book to be told, and that's to be authentic to you. Um, the way I run my classroom, and the way I like manage behaviors, is very different from the way Alyssa runs her classroom, and the way she manages behaviors, and the way that you guys are gonna run your classrooms and manage behaviors, so, you know, you may have heard that, and if you haven't heard it, probably everything you read says that. Um, but I guess to answer the question with one thing that I have found useful is um, Dr. Harry K. Wong's The First Days of School. Um, it is more elementary oriented, but I think that a lot of the things that he said in that book are really common sense. And when I got my second teaching job, a friend of mine gave me that book and it really changed the way I thought about some of the things I was doing and also some of the things I wasn't doing. So I recommend that one highly. 
I think it's interesting that we mention all the elementary books because I really feel like for some reason when you start to talk about high school, people like forget that we're teaching kids and suddenly we're only teaching pedagogy. But a lot of those elementary things that you hear about, like kids don't change what their needs are. So like, even if you're reading elementary texts, like they are very pertinent mm -hmm. to the kids you'll be teaching. I don't know, we both have backgrounds in middle school as mm -hmm. well. What they usually say is that in middle school you teach behavior and in high school you teach content, but I but definitely don't true. agree with that. Um, <laughs> you teach behavior pretty much all the time. The only difference is you teach more content in high school, mm -hmm. whereas in middle school you teach a little bit less. So, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's definitely a reason that all that stuff is either oriented toward elementary and middle school mm -hmm. or just happens to have a lot of their content based on elementary and middle school. But again, even in high school, you don't get away from it. And I've talked with college professors and they say that they need to start doing that there because everything is changing. And like you said, Alyssa, they are still, they are still kids. You're still kids. You're still growing. You're still learning. Yeah, definitely. That's very insightful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are we ready for the next question? Always. Okay, great. So the second question is, what are your experiences with, quote, power struggles? And what fights have you eased up on over time? I think I'd like to start if you don't mind. Do it. Um, so a lot like a lot of first year brand new teachers, I came in bright eyed, bushy tail, and ready to change the entire world, which to me meant I was going to be the most strict about every single thing. Everything. There wasn't a single thing that went on in my classroom my first year teaching that wasn't addressed immediately, and usually disproportionately. Um, and that led to me being the teacher that nobody liked. And that led to me being in the classroom that nobody actually wanted to come into, and so on and so forth. Um, and over the course of my career, I've learned to just be so much more accepting of pretty much everything. Um, there's a time and a place for everything. And there are certain things that once they get to be egregious, you have to address, but there's other ways of doing it. Um, so, you know, for example, one that we experience now and are going to continue to experience technology, free cell phones. Cell phones are a big thing, and I go really hard on cell phones in the beginning to set the mark, but then after that, for example, today, earlier in one of my classes, there was a kid who was struggling with a cell phone. Even from August 20th to December 9th, the way I approach that changes and becomes a little bit more fluid and less antagonistic. So that's one of the fights that I eased up on over the course of my time teaching as a whole, and even in the same, within the course of one semester. As it comes down to power struggles, again, we're all different people. I don't really get power struggles with kids. There are reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And I can't necessarily tell you, show you, or like give you a, a background about how to do it. Some people are lucky enough not to. I'm one of those people. But when it comes down to power struggles, you're never going to win. It's a saving face mechanism, and you always lose when you get into a power struggle with a student in front of other students or even without other students because you just always come off as the bad guy. There's almost no way you can win a power struggle with a student in a way that makes you look better for having one. So I just try to avoid them overall. To reiterate that or like to like take it from a different perspective, there's something that somebody like I think my co-op told me when I was student teaching and that's like Anytime that you feel like you're thinking about getting into a power struggle with a kid or you feel like you're going to get into a power struggle with a kid, remember that you've already won. Like, you have a job, you have a life, you have a family, you have a home to go home to, you have food in your belly, like, you've already won. Mm. And this kid hasn't. 
And they're fighting with you because they haven't won and they feel like they need to find power. So instead of struggling over power with them that you already have, why not try and find a way to empower them, right? So how can you find a way to say, okay, like we're having an issue right now, but I'm gonna give you the power. It's like options are a huge thing. Yes. Being able to say like, okay, so this is not working. So you can either choose to sit at the front table or you can choose to sit in the corner back there. And they'll be like, the corner back there. Because you know what doesn't approach their mind? Like, oh, I can stay here. Like, mm-hmm. that, it doesn't even like, they're like, oh, okay, I can go up here or back there. Right? So if you give them power, that also helps. Um, but in regards to like power struggles that I've like, or fights that I've eased up on, like, I would say similarly. Like, I remember going through the program and being told, like, don't smile for the first month. Mm-hmm. Um, or Christmas. Yeah. Don't smile till Christmas, right? Um, or you need to be a hard ass. Like, make sure you don't let anything go through at all, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was, like, no cell phones and no food and no blah, blah, blah. And, like, the number one thing that I can, like, reiterate about your rules is don't make them no statements. It shouldn't say no this, no that. Mm-hmm. It should be about mm-hmm. what you can do or what you are allowed and, like, what your privileges are. So, like, if you look at my rules in my room, it's about, like, um, like cell phones, food, etc. are positive resources and privileges, right? So they can be taken away, but if you're going right. to use them in a responsible way, then it's fine, right? Because I'm teaching you how to work in the real world. And nobody's going to come up to you at the office and, like, smash your Cheetos out of your hand, right? Like, it's not going to happen. So, like, we need to teach them how to use them in a way that makes sense. So, if you're going to get up out of your seat and grab food from another person, like, no, that's not cool. And we have a conversation about that. And why? But if you can't validate one of your rules with a why statement, it shouldn't be one of your rules. Okay. Are you ready to move on to question three? Always. I think so, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Question three is, how do you best de-escalate a situation? You want me to start? Go I, I kind of want to reword the question. <laughs> Perfect. So instead of how do you best de-escalate a situation, I'm going to answer, what is the worst way to de-escalate a situation? Mm. Because I feel like a lot of people feel like the best way to de-escalate a situation is to, like, call a kid out. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. the worst way to de-escalate a situation. If you're like... John, you need to blah, blah, blah. Like, John is going to come up, and he's going to stand up and get in your face in front of the whole class, and you just started a power struggle. Right, you started a power struggle that wasn't there before. Right, I think, and it I think wasn't I've been there. even there. I think I've been there. I think we've all been there. Um, And then, again, like, there was no need for it. You just kind of – I think that's a very good way of phrasing it. Right. Because instead of asking how to best escalate, let's talk about some ways that – yeah, because we've all been there. Uh-huh. And I it's mean, bad. It's yeah, so bad. it's so bad. And like, think about like yourself, like if you're in a meeting or if you're in class, right? And you're doing something like we've all been there, like been online shopping in the middle of our college class or whatever, right? Like, do you want your professor to be like, Bridget, get off of Amazon in front of everybody? Or do you want them to come over and like kneel down by you and be like, hey, like, what are you doing right now? Or like shoot you an email or shoot you a text like, that in that way you're gonna be like oh yeah i'm sorry i'll get off amazon but if they're like get off amazon you'd be talking about it for the rest of the day you'd be so pissed like again it's it all comes back to treating them like human beings right so if they're doing something you don't want them to do walk over to them kneel down by them like hey could you stop doing that nine times out of ten if you don't make a big deal out of it they'll stop doing it right or they'll be like i'm just gonna finish this text fine let them finish that text right but if you call them out you're not treating them like a human being anymore and that's when they're going to blow up in your face. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's a really, really, really good answer. And I also think that's a really good reframing of the question. Um, I didn't necessarily think of it like that. 
but some of this stuff is going to speak into what you just said, and some of this stuff is going to speak into things we talked about before. Um, when it comes down to de-escalating de situations for me, one, you got to know your kids. Oh my God, this yeah. is one of those things where you have to have a great relationship with your class and your kids individually. You got to know who they are, where they're coming from, because there's like a by-the-book way to de-escalate the situation yeah. that only works for 10% of the kids True. in your class. If you know where they're coming from, if you know who they are as people, if you really have worked on building relationships, mm -hmm. it will help out immensely. Because okay. you'll treat people the way they need to be treated, mm -hmm. like human beings. Not like, you know, kid number 22 in the classroom who, like the book says, do it like this. Mm -hmm. You know that this kid reacts better to these stimuli mm -hmm. and doesn't react better. Or that they're going through stimuli. something at this moment. Right. Like you can, if you know your kids, you can tell like mm -hmm. they walked in, there's clearly something wrong. And they need a moment. And, right. right. And then instead of it. kneeling down by them and being like, hey, can you put your phone away? You can kneel down by them and be like, you're not okay. Right. Like, what do you need? What can I give you? And again, that's how we treat people. Mm -hmm. It's like, why is that how we treat kids? Right, definitely. <laughs> and then the other part of that for me goes back to just like being who you are. Mm -hmm. I love de-escalating if it gets to that point because I think what we're talking about, mm -hmm. what we've been talking about is something I like to call pre-escalation. Like we're talking about doing things before it even gets to mm -hmm. a situation. But if it gets to that point, I use humor a lot. And I turn everything back on Same. me. I like to turn everything <laughs> back on me because it makes people feel less called out. Uh -huh. and less threatened so like if i know somebody's on their phone I'm like yeah you know in this class when we're doing work i wouldn't necessarily just pull out my phone and start texting <laughs> while you guys are doing things so let's make sure we're not you know who you're talking to you know who they you're know. talking to and they know who you are talking to and sometimes they'll even say they'll be like oh you try to call me out and they'll be like yes and, but that's keep completely, going. and it's a completely different way of dealing with things <laughs> and saying hey put your phone away that that makes things worse. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you de-escalate in different ways which are authentic to you, I think it'll be a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of that work happens before it even gets to that point. And then the other part of it is just being like, being who you are and just having really good relationships with your students. Totally. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready for question four? So mm -hmm. ready. Amazing. All right. Question four is, what is your approach when a behavior management strategy fails or is met with resistance? I think that when it fails, you have to, there's three general categories mm -hmm. that X behavior strategy failing will then lead you down. One, did you do it enough and did you do it well enough? I.e., mm -hmm. should you come back to it? Like, is this something that you should scrap? Yes or no. Two, is this the right behavior strategy mm -hmm. for the behavior that I'm trying to change or improve? Or three, did somebody tell you to do this and did they do this with a different set of kids, with a different mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. that worked really well for them and sounded good and you did? So mm -hmm. I think that it usually comes into one of those three categories. And when you figure out what it is, and you do have to reflect, um, I think you've all heard about being reflective teachers mm -hmm. and it's not a joke, right? That's I can tell you as a veteran, you really do have to think about these things. You have to reflect which category does this fall under and what am I going to do now? Because people will tell you like to doggedly like put your head down and keep ramming against the wall. It ain't going to work, especially if it's not one of those things that you did correctly or that calls for the situation, right? Mm -hmm. You do have to think very carefully and intentionally about whatever strategy it is and whether it's worthwhile coming back to or whether it's a good strategy for this situation or whether 
somebody else used it and it sounded really good, so you decided to use it and it didn't Doesn't work very well. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the other reality behind that situation is that like kids have to be taught how to do behavior just like you have to teach them content, even high schoolers, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean like I do the whole like, all right, in three you're gonna blah 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 and in two you're gonna blah blah blah. And like honestly, <clears> like <throat> the first few times I do it, they suck at it. Yes. And then when we finally get them quiet, we go, okay, so this is what I actually need from you. And they get better and better and better, right? So, I mean, you also need to account for the fact that like, you're going to have to practice these skills with them because mm-hmm. they need to learn them too. And after a couple weeks, three weeks of school, they'll learn them. And then you can decide, like, oh, maybe this is for real. It's not working. But if on day one they don't get quiet or on day five they don't get quiet, like, you're going to have weird days. Mm-hmm. That happens. But the other thing is that, like, you need to recognize that this is going to happen. Like, you yes. will have behavior management strategies fail. And that's okay. Read, you don't have to be perfect. Um, and I know that it feels like coming right out of college or coming right into student teaching, you have to be perfect. But for real, you do not. And no. you shouldn't be. Um, and so, like, feel free during student teaching to use all the strategies that you can think of so that you can see kind of how they work. So when you get to your own classroom, you know what fits your personality. And then what with what fits your personality, you can use in your classroom to see what works for your kids. And definitely, just to piggyback on what Alyssa said, be willing to change mm-hmm. continuously over the course of your career, look, you guys are going to be walking into a profession with a lot of challenges that we don't even know about yet. It's like how we hear all the time that there are jobs that are going to be the jobs of the future that don't exist right now. Mm -hmm. You guys are going to be walking into a profession that's going to have challenges 30 years from now when you're about to retire that don't exist right now. They just flat out don't. And they're going to need responses that don't exist right now or you might not necessarily have personally right now. So, you know, I've been teaching for seven years now, and there's no one thing that I haven't been resistant, I I have been resistant to doing over the course of those seven years. And they come and they go and things like that. And you really have to be flexible and open-minded about doing those things, kind of like Alyssa said, because if you feel like what happens on the first day of your (laughs) teaching career and it worked really well is going to happen on the last day of your teaching career and work really well, well, here's the thing, it might. (laughs) But there, it's going to come and go. There's going to be times where it doesn't work, and there's going to be times that it does work. This might be something that you think about 30 years from now, like, oh, man, I used to do this my first year of teaching. It worked out really well. I wonder if it'll work out now. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to be flexible and adaptive to the things that are going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sweet. All right. Are we ready for question five? Sure. Okay. So question five is, do you have stories of rebuilding a relationship with a student that may have started out rough, but over time got better? How did you go about that? Oh my God, yes. I think everybody, I think <laughs> everybody is do. a teacher, yeah. We, I yeah. mean, so like, I, I feel like I could tell you a specific story. Like I can give you a specific person, but here's how every story goes. The story goes like this. The kid comes into class on day one and they know they hate you. Right? Or they're feeling you out, and based on whatever you said on day one, now they hate you. Or you said something that bugged them a little bit, and now they hate you sometime during the year. You gave them a bad grade, and now they hate you. Okay? That's the like variety of situations. Or they're just having a bad day, so they've decided to hate you today. Like These are all options in which you get into a bad relationship place. And then you pull the kid aside, and you have a conversation with them, and you figure out what's up, and you listen to them like a human being. And the relationship, like, gets a little less rocky. And then you do that 15 more times. And eventually, you're besties. Like, that's how it goes. Like, you will get out of a relationship with a kid as much as you're willing to put in. I mean, like, I have a kid who came into my class this year who literally has never passed an English class, ever. 
He never passed an English class. He has an A. Because he's doing work now. He didn't do work before because nobody ever sat and talked to him and asked him how he was or what his life was like or took a real interest. So, like, I had to put so much extra work in with this kid. But it's worth it. You can't do it with every kid. But, I mean, that's every power struggle I've ever been through. I think to kind of like take what you were saying in the general sense and make it a little bit more explicit, I had a really bad situation one time that happened to me a few years ago on a bad day. So let's just talk about how the kid has a bad day, they come into your classroom, they bring their bad day to you, and in that moment you hate each other. I had a kid that had a really, really bad day. Um, some of the stuff I can't talk about, some of the stuff I don't want to talk about. Long story short, the kid actually ended up spitting on me. He had a really, really, really bad day. He spat on me. It's Friday, eighth hour, and I decided, you know what? After the kid was removed from my classroom, class over, right? They're, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm sat there, like, with a, a loogie hanging off of my shirt in front of my class, and they're all just waiting to see how I'm going to react. So I didn't react. I just said, you know what? Let's all just put our stuff down, put it away, and just chill for the next 20 minutes until it's time to go home. But when it came down to rebuilding that relationship, I had to rebuild that relationship with the class. Because again, and this goes back to the power struggle, in that moment, everybody except the two of us was waiting to see what was going to happen. They wanted to see what Mr. Watson was going to do right now. He just got spat on. Oh my goodness, like, let's go. I had to take the air out of that situation. But when it came down to rebuilding the relationship with that student and also with that class, I had to be the person that I had put myself out there to be. Mm -hmm. Firstly, I'm going to respect you. Whether you don't respect me or you do respect me, I'm going to respect you. And I had to be very consistent about that going forward. Secondly, I couldn't treat any of them any different after the fact than I did before. So I remember about a month after that, we had a fire drill at the school and everything like that. And one of my students in that same class came up to talk to me. And she said something. I don't remember what she said, but I do remember my response. I was like, well, you remember when so-and-so spat on me about a month ago? Did I treat him any different? And she said, no. And I said, did I treat any of you guys any different? And she said, no. And I was like, and that's the reason why we were able to make it through that situation. So whatever it was that you were before, I think you have to be consistent, especially when it comes down to being able to respect and be respected by your students. And also... When things come up like that, that could potentially break or very severely damage the relationship, being consistent about the person that you said that you were going to be and not changing the fact that you're going to respect and love and care for the kids because something bad happened or some things bad happened or because a kid or a group of kids have a negative attitude toward you that day or even longer than that. Great. Amazing. Alrighty. Are we ready for question six? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So question six is, when you were testing out different management techniques, how did you get over the inconsistency in the classroom that comes with that? I think that for that one, and I think we touched on it a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like that whole scientific way of doing things. Just because it failed one trial doesn't mean it's ineffective. And you really, 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 really have to be committed to that. If this is something that you were told or you looked at and you decided that it was something that you were going to do, it's not going to happen the first time. Let me just tell you something right now. It ain't. And this is something that goes down to not only classroom behavior management, but also classroom instruction. 
the first time you do anything, it's not going to work the way you expected it to. You could literally, and I'm not joking, you could literally ask your kids to take their materials out of their bag. And I promise you, the first time you do it, it's not going to work as well as you thought it would. And you're going to have to come back to the drawing board and like, holy crap, what did I do wrong? How could I have been more clear about that? How could I have been more explicit about that? What was it that I said that was lost in translation? Same thing with behavior management techniques. Whatever behavior management technique you've gonna, you've decided to use, you got to be committed to doing it repetitively so that it gets to where you want it, where you need it to be, and not just, okay, that didn't work, so it's time to give up on it. Totally. Is there anything to add to question six? Um, I feel like more than anything, it would just be like reflection, mm -hmm. like just being very, very reflective about your practice and not getting beaten down the first time that something doesn't work because like it's just not going to work for you. Like that's just like the way that it is. Um, but more than anything, I think it's just being reflective. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, so there's a, uh, oh, just kidding. So we're on to question seven now. Are we ready for that? Yep. All right, so question seven kind of has two parts. The first part is, what kind of classroom rules have you created to best support your classroom community as well as student learning? And the second part of it is how do students play a part in creating these rules? So my classroom rules are like, you, you feel free to take pictures and put it in question below. Perfect. Um, but my classroom rules uh, are things that we came up together as a class. Mm. Um, they actually never change. They always come up with the same shit. Yes. Um, so that's yes, fine. I, so just, true. I just put the sign up the third day. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, it's the same sign every year because they always come up with the same stuff. It's because true. we it's all true. want the same crap. At the right? end of the day, yeah. At the end of the day, we want to be treated like a person. We want to be respected. We, we want to be able to use our cell phones if it's absolutely necessary. I mean, you've seen, Bridget, like, kids will come up and be like, hey, can I, can I take this? And like, they know that that's reserved for like, my mom is calling and it's an emergency, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or I have a job problem. Yeah. Right? And like they're they're respectful of that, um, so I mean we do at the very on the very first day I ask them in a like word cloud I say like what do you need from me, mm. um, then the second question is like what do you think I need from you, um, and then like what do you need from each other, and then we I print out the word clouds and we look at them together and then we just like okay this could be written as this this could be written as this and like yeah you guide them a little bit, right but for the most part like they know what they want yeah. Like, and they'll say, like, be able to use cell phones. Okay, let's talk. Okay, you need to be able to use your cell phones. I need to be able to do your work. So as long as you're not supposed to be doing your work, you can check your cell phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Perfect. We, we came compromised. Um, and so that's not how that works that way. We compromised. There we go. Um, we became compromised. English is a funny language. It is a funny language. You can language. speak it however you like. Um, but as long as they feel like they have a part in making the rules, they're more likely to... Do them. Oh, I do have some kids that I put on, like I call them contracts. Mm. Um, and it's usually a kid will come to you and they want something. So they want to be able to turn something in on Monday. Or they want to be able to have an extension on their essay. Or they want to be able to read in the hallway. Or, right? They want something from you. And you go, okay, you can do that if I can have blah, blah, and blah. You won't sit by such and such anymore. You won't turn in any more late work. You won't like that kind of thing, right? Um, and then they sign it, and those contracts are so successful. Oh yeah, they're they're binding. They're, they're not even legally they're, binding. They're, they're just, just like, so binding. They're like emotionally. Binding. Right. And I hang them up on my board. I just went down, but I hang them up on my board, and I the 
I literally, a kid will do something and I'll just be like, contract. Contract. And they're like, because like you did them that favor, so they feel like they owe you behavior that you really probably deserve in the first place. But um, those are probably the two ways that I make rules. But I, I allow my kids to take a role in them if they feel responsible for them. Um, I really couldn't agree any more than that. Again, what you don't see is Alyssa flipping her hair every single time. <laughs> I say that. But before I was distracted by Alyssa flipping her hair, um, you'd be surprised that every year, if you let students come up with their own rules or their own values, that they always come up with the same thing. It happened like that last year. It happened like that the year before that. It happened like that the year before that when I was at a different school. It happened every year so far. They come up with respect. And then, you know, you have to kind of like whittle down, like, what does respect mean in this classroom? But I don't think any kid is going to go in for disrespect. Like, I want me, I want to be disrespectful by other people and my teacher to disrespect me. Yeah, they're like, I want to be sworn at. No, nobody says that. They may say that I want to disrespect other people, which obviously is a different kettle of fish entirely, but no kid is going to sit down and say, I would like to be disrespected by my peers and by my teacher today. It's not going to happen. So when you let students do that, and there's a lot of different ways to let students do that using the word cloud, um, brainstorming, um, a whole bunch of different ways of doing it. When you let students create their own rules, you're definitely going to get a lot of consistency from semester to semester, from year to year. Um, I actually, I don't really have rules in my classroom, or at least, and I mean, look, do do what you need to do, right? I don't necessarily need to feel a need to post the rules in the classroom. I think I'm down to two rules at this point, and they're not even rules. They're more like non-negotiables, which depending on the climate of your classroom, the climate of where you teach, and your own personal opinions, you may or may not want to get into. It was big in places I've been before. It's not as big for me now, but I realize the efficacy of them. Here are my two rules. Don't throw anything, and there's reasons for that. And again, as Alyssa said, don't use your cell phone in class. If you need to use your cell phone in class, if you need to use your cell phone, go step in the hallway. Because again, like she said, if your kid gets a phone call and they feel inclined to pick it up, it's probably important. Nine times, 9.9 times out of 10, a kid's not going to pick up a phone call from somebody in the next class over just a chat in class. And if they are, then you've got different problems. Last year, just like, I don't, this is like a new trend. They like FaceTime each other. Well, yeah, that's a different class. thing. In class. They're not talking to each other. They just watch each other. They just watch each other doing their work in class. It's really weird. Like right. They, that, a lot of kids do do that. I get that, but that's a different thing now. I probably could live with it. I haven't seen that one yet. But I mean, like, a full on, like, call from, like, somebody, like, the kid's not going to pick up a call from a number that they don't know and be like, hey, yeah, no, I actually would like to apply for a credit. That's not going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. But they'll look at you and they'll see that. You'll see that look in their eyes like this is like job or this is like right. mom. And then you just like give them one of these. And right. And that's exactly it. It's like, look, you could go speak in the hallway. And once you establish that and it's understood, you don't even have to ask anymore. The kids will ask you, hey, Mr. Watson, I need to call somebody at 2 o'clock. Okay. Great. No worries. Thank you. Or if it does happen extemporaneously and it's like, oh crap, this is like Panda Express, I'll go outside and everything like that. And not throwing things, I think is, you know, I think that face value, we can all understand why I don't want kids to throw things. But I'm not really huge on too many rules because of something I've heard a while ago. Having more rules not only leads to more rules that you can break, but also leads to having more things that you have to follow in a classroom. And any procedure, because rules are procedural in their nature, any procedure that's more complicated is more difficult to pull off. Got it.
Is there anything to add for question seven? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. All right, on to question eight then. So question eight is, what verbal and nonverbal cues do you integrate with your instruction that interlace with addressing smaller behavioral problems before they escalate? I think that, so I came from a place a couple of places ago where nonverbals were huge. They were like a big deal. I think the thing about nonverbals, if you're going to do it individually as a teacher by yourself, is that you've got a very tough road to hoe because yeah. it's you're one of those things that to work a lot more. it's one of those things that within your own classroom it exists in a vacuum right. because it doesn't happen in other people's school classrooms. Yeah. So what I'm saying is my experience with nonverbals in a place where nonverbals were done really really well was that it was like that across the whole school. Mm-hmm. That may or may not be the reality of your school. So I do I do really believe in them. But if you're going to be the only person doing these nonverbal cues, again, procedurally, it's another procedure that the kids have to remember, yeah. and it might lead to more problems than you originally intended. That being said, I'm a big fan of nonverbals when they're done the right way, in the sense that they just take care of things before they become a problem. And again, it's all about that pre-escalation that we talked about earlier, because if a kid needs X and there's a defined nonverbal cue for that, or when it comes down to like your own classroom individually, if you work out kind of like maybe even contractually or like one-on-one with a kid that if they do this thing, it means this and we haven't agreed upon sign, it can really circumvent things before they even start. So, you know, if a kid needs like to step out of the classroom because they're feeling like escalated, for example, and you know that and you speak to the student about that, and things like that, and they just like raise their hand, like with their five fingers, up to kind of like say, "I need five minutes." Mm-hmm. You know that they know that they raise their hand. You nod, takes care of it. Instead of the other way, "Hey, yo, miss, I need five minutes to go outside the classroom right now." <laughs> oh, like okay. that's so. But again, I'm a I'm a really 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 big fan. The only thing I have to say about that, when it comes down to the operational level, is that. If you're going to be the only person doing something, you got to be ready to be the only person doing it. Yeah. But they can be really effective in stopping things before they start. Yeah. The only thing I would say is, like, so at Urbana, like, we don't use nonverbals, like, really at all. Like, it's at, across the board or anything. Um, so if you're going to do it, make sure, at, at a school where there isn't, like, make sure it's simple. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense in, like a, co- like, a cognitive way. Like, it's something that you would assume means something. Um, because like, otherwise you just spend like six years trying to teach them that like one nonverbal mm-hmm. when like you could be teaching them other things. Right. Um, I would say like some of the like little nonverbal things that I do is like, um, sometimes I'll like place my hand gently on somebody's desk and they know that means put your fucking cell phone away. Um, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like in a nice way. Um, or like, um, a kid will like raise their hand and then they'll like hold up their pass sheet and I'll just nod. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, like, but those are nonverbals that like started to exist, informally, like yeah. informally, right? I wasn't like, this is the thing that we're doing. Um, something that I do in my AP prep class sometimes because they always need like help writing, and that I've thought about integrating into my regular class is I have these um solo cups. I mm-hmm. have red, yellow, and green solo cups, and I keep them in a stack. Um, and when you're totally good, you don't need help. You have the green st- cup on top. When you like could use some help. 
but like you're still working, you have a yellow. And if you like, you need my help like immediately right now, you're like screaming at the top of the room to put your red cup up. And we talk about how like no matter what cup you have up, like you shouldn't stop working. Right. Um, but it stops kids from the like, I have one hand in the air and I'm just going to sit here with one hand in the air for 30 minutes until you get yeah. to me. Um, so like, I like that, but I don't use it in my regular class at this particular moment. Actually, I actually am a huge fan of that one from my base, my background in middle school. And my first school was a school that did that for everybody. So I am a huge fan of that. I think that's a really, really brilliant one. I can help out with behavior management before things become problematic. Sweet. Julio. Alrighty, is there anything to add for question eight? All right, question nine. So question nine is, how can you get your students to support each other in classroom behavior management? Huh. Well, I mean, so, you know, as a practicing teacher, I'm thinking, like, this is, like, that highly effective Danielson Yeah, this is, like, a Danielson magic. Is this, like, something that you've been, like, taught in class, whatever? It's, like, a pedagogy thing? Um, I mean, I think that's probably what it stems from. So yeah. the idea of, like, students sort of monitoring one another. Other. Yeah. Hmm. I think that maybe... In other schools, this might be very effective. I think that if we had that happen in our current school, that kids would be yeah, I can see how the crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, okay, I definitely see it in some ways. Like, kids would be like, "You need to be quiet," or they'll be like, "The kid will be like, why are you touching my desk?" And the kid will be like, "She wants you to put your phone away, right?" Like, mm-hmm. like little ways like that, or like you pair them in certain ways and they keep each other on task, right? But I think that if you, if, I just haven't come in contact with this, but I think if you asked a kid or asked kids to like get each other back on task, that they would be like rude about it. I think this really, really speaks to the classroom culture that you've established. Um, Because again, at this school, yeah. It wouldn't work nine times out of ten. Right. And but at the middle school I worked at, I think it would. I think it's a very middle school thing. Yeah. Um, being a primarily freshman teacher and having taught middle school, Gosh. I think it's a very middle school thing. And I also feel like, and this may or may not be an answer that anybody wants to hear, I think it lends itself differently or better to different subject areas. I actually happen yeah. to think English is one that it does lend itself to very well. Um, but you have to kind of you kind of have to set that expectation from the beginning and different people need to be trained to take on different roles. So again, going back to some of the middle school things that I had, like when you have groups in middle school and maybe even at the freshman level, maybe sophomore with the right group of kids, but probably not past that. You can have a quote unquote group leader whose role it is, is to keep everybody right. else in line. But they're going to feel like you think they're stupid. Because it's, de- it's developmentally appropriate. Right. But after that, that's exactly what ends up happening. Like, I'm If not, I told my juniors, like, you're the group leader, they'd be like, right. that's so stupid. That, that's either probably a way to get everybody else in the group to hate that kid or to yeah. beat them up or both. Right. Um, I mean, I used yeah. to have, like, a like a stoplight chart in my middle school room, um, and I tried it here. That was a mistake. Um, but I had it in my middle school room, and it was, like, um, like everybody starts on yellow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then like if you're really great, I'll move you to green. They eat that stuff up. And if you're not, you're like you'll go to red, and then there were like certain consequences or like benefits for like each color that you run by the end of the day, and like um, then there was like a whole class prize at the end of the month, and like that worked so great. 
for middle school. Yeah. It will not work, work in high school. school. Sorry. But um, to give you to give you guys some things that are actionable. Again, I really think that this feeds into consistency. Um, when I get kids in August and they don't know who I am, and I say the same things over and over and over and over again, they get to the point where they start to understand that I'm going to say it, and they can actually. I've seen this happen. Um, they can actually say it for me, which is like, and, and then you kind of like reinforce that, like you know, she just said the exact same thing I was going to. Because I've said the same thing every single day from the first day of the year, like throwing things to go back to something. I, we don't throw things in Mr. Watson's classroom. That's one of the few rules I do have. So if a kid does throw something, I'm going to address that. So I think the last time somebody threw something in my class, I was about to, and then a kid said, yeah, you know he's going to say something to you about that. And I was like, and I'm done here because she just told you what I was going to say without saying it or, um, you know, just like, for example, please and thank you, which I think are incredibly underrated, y'all. Like, let me be very honest about this. Incredibly underrated. So if a kid does something, you say thank you. Or if they, if you do something for them, they say thank you. And like, sometimes I'm like, you're welcome. I walk away. You just kind of like set that expectation. Yeah. But after two, three, four, five, eight months of that, eventually it does sink in. Right. And I think it does really help out with like some of the details of classroom behavior management which overall helps out the total classroom behavior management okay like quick story do you have, do you have we have some quick story okay so very quick story in regards to please and thank you i had a kid when i was student teaching who i got so pissed at he like wouldn't do anything and i was and he was like he asked me something and i was like no go do this like i didn't say anything i didn't say please or thank you and he turned around and he was like, aren't you going to say please? And I was like, mm, oh my, right. I, I literally like was taken aback and I was like, oh my God, you're right. I totally should have said please. I'm so sorry. And that was the most powerful moment of my entire student teaching experience. And that, mm. that kid was like, oh, you know, it's all right. Like, like, I just thought you should have said please. Wait, and that I was kid like, taught you something that you otherwise would have. Right. He totally taught me something. And like, now I always, always say please and thank you. Like, I'm always respectful about those things. I never raise my voice because, like, that kid was right. Mm -hmm. But the bigger lesson from that, more than please and thank you, was admit fault. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, totally. Like, if you are wrong, just freaking say that you're wrong. My kids know that there are two things that they're guaranteed to hear if I'm wrong. And probably they're going to hear both. Either I'm sorry, and I don't think adults, not just teachers, I don't think adults say I'm sorry enough, enough to kids. Yeah. And then two, I, it's something my granddaddy said to me when I was a kid, and I say it to our kids. And again, my kids will say it now because they've heard me say it so many times. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes mistakes. That's what parents are racist. Look, we're teachers, but we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important for them to hear that from the mm -hmm. people that are in front of their class. Mm -hmm. Because again, we might know more than they do, but we don't know everything. Yeah. And to set yourself, that, that's another thing that leads to antagonism. You make one mistake and the kids are on you about it. And then it. they're never going to make, like, then if they make a mistake, then it's a horrible thing. Right. But if you make mistakes and they make mistakes, and then we're in a culture where we make mistakes, like it's totally fine. Sounds like we're in a classroom. Oh my god. Okay. So <laughs> moving on to question ten, if we're ready, which is the last one. How extensive do you believe your toolbox of behavior management techniques is? How does this compare to when you first started teaching? 
And what were the best ways you gained more of these skills? So experience, reading scholarship, a certain podcast, which Ms. P talked about, coworkers, et cetera. Well, I'm sorry. Ladies first. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I believe in equality of the genders, so I don't Fine. Feel like how would we talk about real numbers? I feel that I had learned <laughs> a lot more since I started teaching. True. See, look at that. Be nice. <laughs> Teamwork <laughs> makes the uh, dream. I mean, the reality is that, like, you walk into student teaching, and, like, I remember what the program was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you walk into student teaching, and you're like, oh my God, they're kids. <laughs> Wait, how do I manage kids? You're like, hi, I'm the blackest, and I, and like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you just don't. And like, I'm literally like five or ten years older than people than anyone. Right. I don't right. know what I'm doing. And like, you didn't know what you were doing at all. Mm-hmm. And like, you learn from your cooperating teacher, and you learn from just being in a classroom, and you learn from talking to kids. Talk to your kids. Amen. And um, yeah, I guess like I read some books, and like I read a. a a blog. I don't actually listen to a, a podcast, but I should probably like do that. Yeah. Um, I, I listen to a lot of equity podcasts, but I don't listen to a lot of like pedagogy podcasts. Um, or even psychology podcasts. I I would definitely recommend those. Yeah. Because learning more about the way people think true will help you understand. Ooh. I mean, uh, this is very personal, but knowing that there are other people out there who think in ways that are very different from you. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah. All teachers should read the book. The body keeps the score. It's about trauma and how, if you're going to work in like a low-income environment, but it's about trauma and how trauma affects the brain and our actual behaviors, mm. and it changes the way you actually react to other people, um, and it's so, so helpful when working with kids who have experienced trauma because you're able to like pick up on their triggers so easily and able to adjust for them, but I'm off task. It's um, But no, I really like... I don't want you to think so much about being like, I need to go out and read everything. Like, no. You need to talk to your coworkers. You need to talk to your kids. You need to listen to your cooperating teacher. You need to seek out other teachers to talk to. It's really about the experience. Uh-huh. I think that the best way to answer this question, I mean, trust me, totally. You can listen to podcasts and you can read and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it really does come down to the conversations that you've had with other people yeah. and the experience that you've had yourself. Um, and it grows exponentially. My toolbox is so much bigger and so much better than it was when I first started Mm -hmm. teaching and again it changes manifold day by day almost so you know where I'm at right now in my career I feel like it's so much bigger and so much better and I know that when I'm twice as old of a teacher as I am right now I'm gonna feel like man I didn't know anything I was I don't know what I was talking about when I sat down (laughs) and did this podcast because it's going to get even bigger and even better so you're gonna grow and learn every day but your experiences are where, for me, where they come from. Yeah, and before we shut this thing off, like, hear us say, or hear me say, I don't want to speak for Mr. Watson, um, but hear me say, like, we've been where you're sitting. Oh, yeah, no. And, like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And just, like, do your best, roll with the punches, have a life, please. Yes, I, I cannot stress that last point enough. Um, <laughs> every teacher has gotten to the point where they have sacrificed their life for their job. Don't do that. And don't do that. Or at plan, least work smarter, not harder. Do the best you can not to do that. Because, I mean, yes. look, I'm going to tell you something that I think is a general truth for all of us. First year, worst year. First year, worst but year. First year, worst year. Don't make your first year or your last year because yeah. your first year was such a terrible time. Right. Exactly. No, you got this. We believe in you. Bridget yeah. will give you my email address. It's going to be fine. But, again, 
just trust your experience and trust that this is what you planned on doing. This is what you actually want to do despite all and be the person that you always wanted to be. Oh, and also ILL. Oh God, <laughs> I and I. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. All right, do we have anything else? I nope, think that's it. Nope, thank you. All right, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Thank you again to Mr. Watson and Ms. Pavlakis for participating and helping us out. If you would like their contact information, please reach out and let me know. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.